Welcome to Like Treason News, everyone. Pop culture, politics, and a sprinkle of what? Treason. Hi, Meredith. Hi. How are you? I'm great. I really need to thank you for braving through COVID, although I feel like you're at the tail end of it now. Yes. Um, I would say, not that I think any of our beloved listeners are cavalier about COVID. I would hope not. uh, If you listen to the show, (laughs) can you imagine if we just have like a slew of anti-vaxxers? Like, first of all, how have you made it this far into the show? But yeah, I think think most people are very like COVID conscious. Yes, but I will say it is no joke. The current strain, whatever I got, has not been bad. But this morning I tested positive for the 13th day in a row. Jesus, it's so stubborn. So the key, like the reason you want to avoid this one as much as possible is it will burn all of your PTO sick time. Yeah. Um, If you have any, if you're like lucky enough to have that. Yeah. It will. Yes. It will completely derail your life because you will just stay vaguely symptomatic and positive forever. You know what the strain <laughs> is? This strain is you threw a party. It's 2 a.m. Everyone has gone home except this guy. And it's not even a friend. It's like somebody, a friend brought him. And it's so are, too- you're telling me that this strain of COVID is actually the char- the creepy characters from who invited them? Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yes. That's the new strain of COVID. And you're like, and you're like whispering to like your partner. You're like, did you know, do you know him? And your partner's like, no, I thought you knew him. And you're like, no, I think he knows Rick. And you got like your fucking Rick. Of course, Rick brought this guy and he's wasted and he's dancing by the stereo. And you're like, could you get out? Everyone else has left. How are you not picking up on the social cues right now? That's the newest strain of COVID. Yes. So public service announcement from someone who got unlucky. Yes. Mask up even more than you probably already are and Mm -hmm. rest if you do end up testing positive because it seems like a crapshoot, but just take care of yourselves, everyone. It's a really bad virus season. We're in like one of the worst surges since the height of the pandemic, which is insane. But yeah, they, guys, they analyze our poop water and they have determined that COVID is just raging right now. So yeah, I I still wear my mask in the movie theater, on the subway. And there's this thing now, and I don't know if anyone else has experienced this, but because fewer and fewer of us are masking, when you do see another masking person, you make eye contact and you like do a little nod. (laughs) (laughs) Like, good job, soldier. But yeah, there's there's fewer and fewer of us on the subway, which is cause for concern because that is like a hotbed of of viral infection because we're all trapped in the same enclosed area together. Yeah. So sorry for the long digression related to no, this. No, no. But it is, it has been it's not important. fun. Yeah. I have, and also, I am running out of stuff to watch. I know. You are like such a pure extrovert you're like I'm so bored and I'm like this is just like how I live because I'm like I always say this I'm an extroverted introvert but like I thrive when I'm by myself but you are like I'm climbing the walls because I've watched everything I've watched everything I have had long and intense text conversations and FaceTimes with friends I've (laughs) caught up with everyone that I hadn't talked to since before the holidays Uh I have rearranged my record collection oh my god I finished knitting a sweater Allison (laughs) I knit a sweater oh my god yeah I I knew it was bad when I finally got you to watch Southern Charm I was like oh she's like bored bored (laughs) Um, so anyway I'm glad you're feeling better. I'm glad you're on the mend. Hopefully that second line will fucking disappear finally on the rapid response test. Um, But I wanted to talk, we have so much to talk about because it turns out when you're a biweekly show, a lot of shit happens between episodes. And my document is just getting like longer and longer of shit I want to talk about. So I want to go way back 
just because I, I think there's like stuff to unpack here. And I want to talk about the Golden Globes. Yes, uh, absolutely. Part of the reason I want to talk about it is I just want to flex because I called Paul Giamatti winning for Best Actor. But specifically, I wanted to talk about Joe Coy. And like, I know a lot of people are dunking on jo- Joe Coy because it was maybe the worst hosting job anyone's ever done for an award show. Maybe. I'm like thinking of like um, Anne and uh, James when they hosted, but I think they were even better <laughs> than Joe Coy. I'm, a, I'm also thinking of uh, the, that 1980s Oscars where mm-hmm. Rob Lowe oh, danced yeah. with Snow White. Yes. But that was that, bad. But it, that is fun to look back on now because it's a crazy cocaine fever dream. Well, I'm kind of wondering... Maybe there'll be a nostalgia thing with Joe eventually where it's like, hey, remember that was so bad. It's kind of funny now. Whereas I was having like flop sweats watching it live. You were so upset. I was so upset. But the the specific reason I got really, really upset at him was not the fact that he was bombing. That happens, you know, like and he's he's like a really seasoned club comedian, which I, I didn't know he was hosting the Golden Globes. And if I had known that. I think I would have known that was a mistake because a club crowd is not a Golden Globes crowd. And as soon as he turned on them, I was like, Joe, he's dead. He's fucking dead. Like, you can't do that to a crowd of celebrities. Like, they just aren't going to respond well to it, you know? So, but the when I really turned on him was when he <laughs> he started making excuses live where he was like, I only had 10 days to get ready for this, which by the way, 10 days is a lot of days to write five minutes of monologue jokes. Joe, you, that's like not a good excuse. Especially um, when you're, you've had all year to see what celebrities are going to be at the place. Well, did you hear what he said about <laughs> when he was getting ready for the gig? He called Ali Wong and Ali Wong was the one who told him to watch the movies. He wasn't going to watch the movies. And she was like, well, you should know, like, how are you going to write jokes? If you haven't if seen, you the movies, haven't seen the movies, basic stuff, like basic shit he should have known. Um, he, when he threw his writers under the table, I was like, go fuck yourself. Like, you're a bad person now. Like, if you had just tanked with dignity and been like, this is going badly, guys, but we're going to get through it, you know, self-deprecating. But immediately it turns on his writers. Afterwards, he was throwing the audience under the bus where he's like, they're marshmallows. They're like pretty to look at, but they're soft, you know? And it's like, no, no, dude, you just ate your dick on stage. Like it happens. It happens. Everyone has had a bad show. Who's a live performer. Everyone. If you haven't had a bad show yet, you haven't been performing long enough, you know? So, but that's how you respond. Like that was like Bush league. That was amateur hour. And I like, that's when I was like, you're done. You're done. You're done. You're done. You don't throw your writers under the table. Well, no, under the bus. Did I, have I been saying under the table, under the bus (laughs) ever, ever? Uh, yeah. So that, but it was like, that was just sort of like the night for me where I'm like, I don't know if I can uh, look or get over this. It was so bad. I will say too, the other thing I wanted to flex on was that turns out voters also don't like maestro. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I felt kind of vindicated where I was like, there, there was this weird sort of like positive buzz early on by some of film Twitter where they were like, no, it's actually brilliant. And I was watching it and I was just like, yo, like, are we watching different movies? And and to feel that other voters also were like, this is bad. I was like, OK, good. I don't feel crazy anymore. Yeah. It turns out that when you make a movie where somebody, a woman jumps fully clothed into a pool a decade after someone did that in Breaking Bad, um, more than a decade, uh, people are going to say, huh, I don't think this is working. Yeah, exactly. And like, to to be honest with you, the cliche of her jumping into the pool was like the least problematic part of that movie. (laughs) Have you seen it yet? a lot. Oh, I started, I made it through 15 minutes, was so annoyed and I had to turn it off. I know people that walked out of it in the theater. (gasps) Yeah. Wow. I was like, I really felt crazy for a little while and then more people started to see it. And I've heard a lot from, I'll be honest, uh, every queer person I know that has seen it didn't like it. The huh. only the only positive things I've heard are from, I'm pretty sure like straight cis critics. Um, yeah, probably who have a background in in high school musical theater. 
Well, no, well, yeah, that's like kind of mixed. There are some Leonard Bernstein super fans who have seen it who really don't like it because Bradley chose to focus on a very, very small facet of his life. And they found that like offensive. Um, not not the queerness of it, but just the fact that like he had this like amazing career that spanned decades and he doesn't touch on a lot of it. And it's sort of interesting where it's like, why did you choose to not focus on this stuff? And the only conclusion I can come to is that he knew the Oscar voting body would respond to what he was focusing on is, is what it felt like to me. It was the most dramatic angle he could think of. Yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway, I don't want to get into my show again. I just, uh, I felt vindicated by that. Did you have any Golden Globes feelings, um, emotions? Well, gosh, when was it that I did? I watched the holdovers at some point during my quarantine. Yes. And, uh, I am completely okay with Paul Giamatti uh-huh. walking away with it. Having seen the film, I really loved it. So, you know, if it turns out that everyone decides that the the white retrenchment of, of 2024 <laughs> after all of the Asians won in 2023 uh-huh. uh, is to give it to a movie that to me felt like a warm blanket of 90s indie film, uh-huh. uh, I can handle that. It The Holdovers to me feels exactly like what the Academy likes, which is to say it's a solid 7 out of 10. And the Academy really, really responds to a 7 out of 10 nice movie. And I say yeah. that slightly derogatorily because I was cooler on The Holdovers than you, but it's a nice movie. It's nice. I can't because so often <laughs> when there is a film that breaks ground that has, you know, when there has been actual diversity, sometimes you get a green book that out of here. You get or a crash, a I'll, legitimately I'll shitty you, film. I I definitely think the holdovers is better than the green book, but I would put them in the same lane with the academy where it's like, this is safe. This is this will be a movie that they'll feel good about voting for. Paul Giamatti is very loved. Um, Devine is amazing. And I would not like, she's obviously going to win in my opinion. Um, so I won't be mad about that. And with Paul, it's like, I wouldn't be mad. I still think Cillian probably has the edge over him. Um, but honestly, Just because it's like a serious, because it's such a serious film. Yeah. And, and I think Nolan's going to win. And when they give it to the director, it's kind of like, well, how can we say this is like, if they give it best picture, they give it best director. Chances are they're going to give it best actor, but I do think it's kind of a toss up right now because Paul's gaining a lot of steam. Side note, everybody, we're going to do our Oscar episode March 2nd. So we'll have our full predictions then. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. I think I'm kind of hoping we'll get a, a surprise at the Oscars, but right now it feels like things are solidifying early on. Um, yeah. I'm seeing origin tomorrow. That feels like maybe it, it it could sneak in as sort of a surprise nominee. Um, but yeah, it, it feels like we, we have our top 10 films like ready to go. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing you were all over talking about the BAFTA nominations, having a lot of feelings there, which I was really amused by like just your stream of consciousness. Uh, Frankly, if, as long as Coleman Domingo shows up to the Oscars and serves like he has been serving at every award show so far this season, I'll probably be happy. Yeah, he has looked phenomenal. Um, I do think it's slightly annoying that he's getting all of this attention for Rustin, which is like, again, a very academy film, very middle of the road. Seven out of seven's kind of high for Rustin, maybe a five or a six out of ten. And it's annoying because it's like again, we're acknowledging this amazing actor for the body of work because now he's entering that like legend territory where it's like, man, Coleman Domingo's fucking good, and everybody's like, he's so good. Should we finally give him the credit? He's been due and everyone's sort of like, yeah, fuck it for Rustin. Why not? But Rustin is not a good film. <laughs> no. <laughs> so it's kind of like, oh, shit. But I'm, I'm always happy to see him on any red carpet. What a good looking man. 
so good. And Style. I just, oh God, his Valentino outfit. And how he just like casually, someone's like, what are you wearing? He's like, Valentino. And I was like, fuck yeah, you are. Coleman Domingo. What a treat. Oh, so good. So there are, there are highlights. I think I am curious where things are going to go since there's, I have no idea what their Golden Globes decided they were trying to do with the award that's basically for the movie that made the most money. Anytime (laughs) this comes up, people post the gif of Don Draper going, that's what the money's for. (laughs) It's like, yeah, that's your prize, Barbie. You know, you made like a trillion dollars. Like, that's the prize. You don't get another prize that's like, hey, good job. Like, the whole reason we have prestige awards is to award films that don't make a billion dollars at the box office, you know? So, like, what the fuck are we doing? And it's like, I wish the award shows would just hire people who know how to make compelling award shows because like people aren't watching for that you know like fewer and fewer people are watching every year because it's like the it's the film nerd super bowl you know the fact that they're doing stuff like cutting clips from the award show it's like that's why we fucking watch this what are you doing exactly make it longer make every award show five hours do it just see what happens you know like you could sell more advertising space if that's what you want which obviously you do because you're not making any money um but the shit of like let's make it shorter and shorter and shorter and throw people off the stage faster it's like what the fuck are we why are we doing this then i know it's it's ridiculous and to have it happening at a time when it is getting progressively harder and harder to see some of these movies that are then being yes yeah um so for example zone of interest opens wide on january 26th And I was chatting with a friend of mine who lives in Brooklyn and she said, yeah, I can walk outside my house and pick between three theaters that are playing zone of interest in Williamsburg alone. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, I've always said, just make it easier for people to see your movies. And it's like, on the one hand, hand, you have the zone of interest, poor things issue, which, and um, all of us strangers, which is like, How are people going to see these films before the Oscars? On the other end, you have something that came out of fucking nowhere like Wonka. Wonka has made $511 million, right? Warner Brothers announced yesterday it's going to video on demand. Why? You are still printing money with this fucking movie. Why are you taking it out of theater? It's like they're stupid on both ends. Whether it's yeah. wildly popular or whether it's this niche, like, artiste, you know, film, like, zone of interest, nobody can fucking see it. Because you're, like, either not putting it in theaters or you're yanking it out of theaters as quickly as possible. Do you want people to see movies? Do you want money? Do you want money? Yeah. And, of course, Warner Brothers already stumbled into Wonka being an international hit because they didn't advertise it accurately. They just got lucky. They got fucking lucky that every single person in the United Kingdom was like, I'm going to go see this movie eight times. Because it's (laughs) – honestly, because it's like it's Paul King – and also, I mean, Timothy Chalamet is a fucking superstar and people love him and they'll go see his movie like six times. And it's like, Twanka, you, Twanka, yeah. you just, you got fucking lucky, Warner Brothers, and they're still going to fuck it up. Like, what yeah. the fuck? And, and you know, Zaslav makes like an ungodly amount of money to make bad decisions like this. And is going to argue that his strategies are working because they keep getting lucky. Yeah, I mean, the fact that yeah, I, I speaking of Warner Brothers, speaking of all of this, um, let me get off my soapbox and just remind everyone, everybody, if y'all are uh, part of Dune Nation like I am, and Meredith, Meredith, you are too, not as much as I am, but you're a fan. Um, uh, absolutely. So next week, Wednesday, and depending on where you live, there are tickets still left. New York City, there are still tickets left uh, at the AMC Kipps Bay Theater, there's going to be a re-release of Dune Part 1, and then we're going to get a 10-minute uh, preview of Part 2. And apparently the preview is going to be like an introduction by the cast. I think Denise is going to say something, and then we're getting a 10-minute clip and then like a montage, apparently, um, which is very fun. I'm just excited to see it. 
on IMAX again because I obviously haven't seen it since. <laughs> God. <laughs> It's been years now, guys, because there was a pandemic and then everything got delayed. Um, so I'm I'm very hyped for that. So depending on where you live, you might be able to see the re-release in IMAX. So do I would highly encourage people, especially if you haven't seen it at all, see it in IMAX. It's fucking incredible. Uh, yes, uh, but be careful if you plan on taking any level of. Uh, substances i am going to and i might fry my brain being too high and seeing the worm for the first time has not left my memory oh i forgot you were high because i was sober and i was like oh my god yeah uh oh no i thought i was gonna start having a panic attack when that fucker just rose up oh it was it was intense so please be careful with your dosages this movie is going to make a lot of money because like I consider myself to be kind of on the ball with with Dune news. And by the time I got to uh, buy my little ticket, there were like three seats left. So I am wow. very close to the screen <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to be high watching uh, Dune. So I'm very excited for that. Um, but yeah, I... The state of the industry is uh, is crazy because Warner Brothers is making a lot of money and they're still uh, fucking people and making bad decisions. And I'm like, y'all don't deserve this. Like, I'm, I'm glad we're getting good films, but I'm like, this is dumb luck at this point. This is just like, despite the, the people in charge, we have amazing creators who are making wonderful things. And I just don't understand how you keep fucking it up, studio heads, you know, bad yeah. decision after bad decision. And somehow this is leading to more consolidation because obviously so- they're going to find a way to push the Warner Brothers Paramount merger through. Yeah. Um, right. It's just going to happen, especially worse, since yeah. Warner Brothers had such a successful mm-hmm. year despite being run by the most incompetent assholes alive. Um, they made so much money between Barbie, Wonka. They're going to have Dune, you know, like, my God, my God. Um, anyway, I have a correction that I want to read from very nice listener, Stephanie, who wrote to the Light Treason News Instagram account, which I always forget to present as an option <laughs> for how you can contact the show because, you know, I know not everybody wants to email in, but you can also follow us on Instagram. You should do that regardless. Um, So I had been talking about, I believe this came up when I was reviewing Zone of Interest. And I was speaking very flippantly and overgeneralizing. And I think I said something about like, you know, the, the tragedy of what's happening in Gaza with, you know, Israel committing a genocide. Uh, And I spoke very generally about like how Jewish people are seeing this happen and not doing anything, which is like, I'm I'm forgetting how I phrased it actually, but I was speaking way too flippantly because obviously there's amazing uh, Jewish activists who have been protesting uh, Israel's actions in Gaza from jump. So Stephanie wrote in long time first ish time. I appreciate your takes on film and politics and politics and film and usually find myself agreeing with you, which is why I wanted to call you uh, in. I think she meant out on something you said. Oh, no, that's uh, calling you in is the way that people say it now because you're not (gasps) calling people out. You're calling them into a conversation so that you can educate (laughs) yourself and then join the movement more effectively. I like that. Okay. Calling you in uh, on something you said in the one seven episode when talking about uh, zone of interest, it was zone of interest and the parallels with Gaza. You said Jewish people had this uh, horrible atrocity committed. Now the state of Israel is committing genocide. You've become the villain. The logical volley is anti-Semitic. It associates the Jewish people, most of whom are diaspora with the government of a country where they don't live. It's collective blame. Uh, Jews are the villain as much as Palestinians are Hamas. It also enforces the dual loyalty trope. Historically, that's been the anti-Semitic idea that diaspora Jews can't be trusted because their loyalty lies with the nation of Israel. Uh, Pre-1948, nation really just meant community. The existence of a group of Jews living uh, Jewishly uh, 
sorry, this got cut off. Um, Trump used it to push the dual loyalty trope to court the ultra orthodox. It was weird, but another rant for another time. I hope you can take this with an open heart and mind. That's my only aim and intent in giving this feedback. Have a great day. Uh, yeah, I agree, Stephanie. Um, and I was speaking way too generally about that. And you're 100% right. So thank you for the correction. And uh, given that so much, given the number of prejudices, including anti-Semitism, that are so deeply rooted in the way that people speak in general, the way that our society is, is set up, um, if people don't spend time raising these questions and asking people to think less flippantly, that is never going to get better. So yeah. again, thank you. I agree. Um, so, and yeah, again, guys, any kind of comment like that is more than welcome. I'll read it on air. Uh, I like the idea of calling people in and not calling people out. I think that's really nice, especially because um, just watching how people get called out on Twitter, I'm like, what are we doing, guys? Like, this is not productive at all. But I found that to be a really productive message. So a uh, very nice correction. Thank you. Um, also, Brian wrote into my Patreon, which anybody who's a supporter of mine for as little as $5 a month you can do that too. Patreon.com slash Allison Kilkenny. Brian just has a real quick question. Have you seen The Blackening? That's all Brian wants to know. <laughs> uh, that I did watch it, I think, sometime in December. I have not seen it yet, but I've heard a oh, lot about it. Oh, Allison, you have to watch yeah, it. Yeah, I it heard it's great. It is fantastic. Cool. I'm going to, uh, hopefully it's still streaming. I'm sure it is. I'll check that out. And uh, yeah, that was it for for messages. So I'm I'm rubbing my hands, my little hands together in glee because I want to talk about the curse finale with you. <laughs> oh my god! This, of course, the finale airs. I'm sick as a dog, barely capable of having oh coherent god. thoughts, and you spent four hours, four hours texting me thoughts. Yeah, just literally four straight hours with further ideas. So yes, let's discuss it. So the, when I really, when I realized I had to leave you alone was when I was linking the curse finale to the film Nope, where uh, <laughs> I think the line of Nope that everybody remembers is Daniel Kaluuya saying, what's a bad miracle? What do you call that? And I just had that in my head watching the curse because the finale to me feels like a bad miracle. <laughs> is happening where it's like hopefully you've seen the curse if not just like a quick summary it's about this couple who's trying to record a pilot episode for an HGTV type show where they are uh, creating energy efficient homes um, in a, a very poor community and they are just two very white gentrifiers <laughs> who are coming into this community and uh, not realizing that they're, even though they're trying to be very progressive, they're uh, bad people, basically. Uh, and uh, the, the what's his name, the character? I forget the names of them, but Nathan's uh, Nathan character. Fielder, uh, Asher. Asher. Oh, my God. How did I forget Asher? Uh Asher, there's a moment where uh, the producer of their show, Dougie, wants to uh, record an interaction between him and a little girl who's, you know, um, trying, I think she's selling like... She's selling small bottles of soda. Yeah, in a parking lot. So he wants to buy one for her, um, but all he has in his wallet is, it's a $100 bill, right? Yeah. So he gives that to her. They record this like cute little exchange between them. But then he decides uh, $100 is way too much to give this little girl. So he asks her for the money back. And he intends to get her like a 20 or something from an ATM. But this very uncomfortable situation interaction happens where he takes the money back from her. And she says, I curse you. So what I thought the entire show was going to be is that this man, Asher, was going to assume he's been cursed and it's just going to destroy his entire life because he's going to mentally spiral. And I was 100% okay with the show being that way. I still maintain I kind of wish that had been the show. We find out in the final episode, <laughs> the finale of The Curse, that The Curse is real. 
And Asher, well, first of all, we open with a segment on the Rachel Ray show. I didn't think I would see Rachel Ray in the show. And or a f- former Sopranos cast member. Yes. Who um, is her in-studio cast. So funny. And uh, Asher and uh, Emma Stone's character's name is Whitney. Uh, Whitney, yeah. Whitney and Asher are remote and they're they're talking about the show because the show has been made now. Um, and it's so funny, the details in the show. It's online, online only, the show, uh, which is if you're any kind of creator is like an extra dig. It's like, oh, you're not on real TV. You're online, you know? Um, yeah. And very long opening segment with Rachel Ray interviewing them about these energy efficient homes. And it's very clear that Rachel Ray is like not on board with these energy efficient homes. And he's like picking them apart on live television, which is very uncomfortable for Asher and Whitney. And then we cut to Asher and Whitney's real life. Um, and there's this amazing, amazing uh, part where they, decide they're going to be good, like woke progressives and um, purchase the home that Abshir and his two little girls, the one little girl who had cursed Asher, are living in. And they're like, we're going to do this great thing. We're going to buy this house for them. And you could tell they think this family is going to be like over the moon grateful to them. And when they tell Abshir, he's got like very practical questions for them where he's like, do I have to pay property tax? They're like, no, 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 we'll pay that. And he's like, okay, is it immediate? Like he, he just has like logistical questions and you can tell they're crestfallen because they're not getting their cookies as progressives. (laughs) They're like, no, no, you're supposed to tell us like we're wonderful. And we're like heroes. You're supposed to cry. You're supposed to call your girls out. You're supposed to do all this. And his first question is, do I need my cousin who's a lawyer here? Which again, practical question. It's like, I don't know if this is legal. There were a lot of like very David Lynchian moments in this episode where like, I love the detail of the girls aren't there. It's it's almost like they've vanished. And there's just this random guy there who at one point looks right at the camera. And that felt very like Bob in Twin Peaks, where I was like, oh, no, 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 no. I don't like that. Like, who is this dude, you know? You're just like, why? Oh, I don't need, please don't look straight into my soul. I'm not prepared for this. And where are the girls? What has happened? So there's like this kind of like, like, like a real like creepy element to it where it's like, was Abshir really their dad? Like, what's happening, you know? Um, and so they leave, and they're kind of, like, trying to pep talk themselves, where they're like, oh, he was just, like, in shock, you know? Um, but we're still good people. They go home. They go to sleep. They wake up. And Asher is on the ceiling of the bedroom. And this is the rest of the episode. It is them trying to come to terms with what is happening how Asher is suddenly defying the laws of gravity. And they assume it's because (laughs) this energy efficient house has a pressurized room for their soon to be nursery because they are giant hypocrites and they want the nursery to have a traditional air conditioning unit, even though the whole idea of these houses is that they're energy efficient and can stay cool in the summer and warm in the winter they're not going to risk the lives, the life of their baby. So they have this pressurized room. So Asher's assuming that it's, it has something to do with that, which kind of annoyed me once we got into like minute 10 of this. I'm like, why don't they ever have a moment where Whitney's like, why isn't it happening to me? Why is it just happening? Cause I'm like, these are smart ish people, you know? Um, sure. But also, this was clearly a move to a much more surreal uh, setup. You know, they were making things crazy on purpose. So it was necessary for them not to be asking those questions. But um, that's what doesn't work for me, though, because if you're going to go from somewhat grounded to cartoon batshit in the finale, it's just not going to work, you know, because it's a different tone, different show. I was really impressed 
visually, I don't know how they did a lot of this. Like I could figure out in certain parts they had either built the set upside down or rotated it. But then there's this moment where uh, Whitney goes into labor. She's about to have this baby. And Asher assumes if he gets out of the house, he'll be okay because it's like a pressurization issue. And there's a moment where uh, her... um, Who was the guy who grabs Asher? Somebody from the neighborhood. I don't even remember. Yeah, I don't remember. Because... But, like, it's visually spectacular where, like, uh, Nathan is sort of on... (laughs) He's, like, floating against an overhang. And this dude grabs him and pulls him out. And he flies up into the air, like, almost just, like, like a rocket. And the guy's, like, holding on to him. And the physicality of that... I don't know. For whatever reason, I thought he would, like, float gently upwards. And once I understood he's going to rocket up like that was very scary. I got, like, my, like, stomach dropped. Just the 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 idea of feeling that was, like, such a nightmare that I was really afraid for him. You know, like, there's a whole sequence where he uh, shoots up into a tree and he's, like, grabbing onto a branch and, like, desperately trying to hold on and the firefighters show up and, like, it's a really terrible, awful end for this character who turns out was actually cursed. Like the curse is real guys. That's basically the takeaway of this. And it almost seems like this is like a monkey's paw situation where like he has to die in order for his child to be born. Feels like maybe it's what the curse is. Like he cannot possibly exist on earth with a family and be happy. So he has to rocket into space. Now I would also be (laughs) Totally unsurprised if 10 years from now, Benny Softie and Nathan Fielder tell everybody, ha, 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 that show meant nothing. We were just punking all of you would totally unsurprise me. Absolutely. But I, I can see it work from a, okay, we just decided that we were going to make something insane for the last episode so that we freak everybody out because we wanted to try it. And that is the punking. Or because the the climactic scene in the second to last episode is Asher freaking out at Whitney, desperately trying to convince her that he's worth loving. He's saying, I'll do anything. He's he's committing to complete self-effacement and destruction if it means that it would make her happy. And... In the, in the last episode, that's exactly what happens. He's like, oh, okay. Right. I have followed through and done everything. You know, I am willing to let you make me look like a fool on this television show to have it be called something that completely removes my participation from it to make you the star. You know, you can do all of this stuff as long as it makes you happy. I'll be this for you. And then the ultimate... Uh, the ultimate scenario that happens to him is that suddenly he can't exist with her. The only way for things to continue is for him to disappear completely. So he gets his wish. The curse is actually him getting exactly what he said he wanted. Right. Right. Um, which is the whole monkey's paw situation. Of it where it's and like, also exactly why uh, this is a Nathan Fielder joint. Well, <laughs> see, this is my issue with it. Oh, by the way, I remember the doula grabbed him. Oh, okay. Yes. Thank um, you. My issue with it is this. So we had nine episodes of very Nathan Fielder, very cringe interactions. Like this is his bag, right? Like this is what he does. And episode 10, we got Benny Safdie, which is nightmare, surrealist, hellscape, right? Yeah. Um, nightmare, surrealist, hellscape based around male pain. And I feel like there were, there was safety like sprinkled throughout with with the curse shit of it, like the the very strange moments of Asher finding the chicken and stuff like that felt very like safety, where it's like, what the fuck is this, you know? And that very uneasy feeling. I just don't know if those two tones ever successfully merged. I like both of them. 
I really enjoyed the cringe aspects and like the examination of, of progressives like this, I think was, had a lot of like very interesting things to say. And then I really dug the Lynchian off the wall shit of episode 10. It just, they're different shows in my opinion. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that's a fair criticism. I also think to tie it to what we've been taught, we were talking about in terms of issues within the Senate, like the movie industry. I love that this very weird, not entirely successful television show that was put together by three extremely talented people exists at all. It's weird. I don't know that it needs to hang together or be completely successful for me to be happy that it exists and that it frustrated me at these times because it's a, it was an interesting experiment, you know? A hundred percent. And I am also really glad it, they made it, they were able to make it, it exists. I have not stopped thinking about the finale. So obviously it's successful in, in leaving a lasting mark. I just got to give it up quickly to Emma Stone, who is like making fearless decision after fearless decision, whether it's this show, whether it's poor things. She's a producer on I Saw the TV Glow, which. Wow. I did not know that. She's like the reason it got made. Um, So. And, you know, just quickly for everybody, that is the current um, Buzzy Sundance Yes. Release uh, from the director of We're All Going to the World's Fair. Um, it's getting so rave reviews. It's yeah. Going to be a big. Big, yeah. Yeah. It's, or maybe not actually big, but it's definitely very hip and people are very curious about it. So she's clearly using her power as good, a, yeah. m- you know, mid 30s, very successful Hollywood actress in ways that not very many people do. She's it's making really that she and Margot Robbie are both doing this at the same time, yes, given yeah. how different their career trajectories are in so many ways. Yeah, and um, both very cool ladies doing very cool things. Um, yeah, I. It's really amazing because, like, I, I, I do feel like she's making <laughs> calling an actor brave. I know is like rolling the eyes because it's like they're not brave. You know, like minors are brave, but like. In terms of, like, what she could be doing with her career right now, you know, I do feel like she's making bold decisions. Let's say bold instead of brave, I guess. Mm -hmm. Making bold decisions um, and getting dope shit made by people uh, who perhaps normally wouldn't get a platform or get the funding they needed. So I, I, I think that's admirable and that's how people with a lot of power and money should use their influence. So, uh, I'm a fan. I'm always excited to see what she does next. And, I dug the curse. Here's the issue. Say you have a friend who comes, I guess it's a case by case basis. It's, you know, like it's, you know, determined by what your taste is and stuff like that. If I was to recommend this show to someone, I would have like a million caveats. (laughs) I would be like, do you like cringe humor? Yes, I like cringe humor. Great. Uh, How do you feel about surrealism? I like surrealism. Awesome. How do you feel about Nathan Fielder? Do you like the safties? I would just be like going down a checklist. It feels so specific. It feels like a niche of a niche of a niche. But if you like the niche of a niche of a niche, holy shit, will this be your jam? Absolutely. Absolutely. What's next on the list, Allison? So, <clears throat> sorry, I was getting a sip of water. Um, let's talk about the True Detective pilot. Oh, I've been really excited to talk about this. Me too. Uh, this, first of all, if you said something in a place where there are there is an extended period of complete darkness, um, I will watch it and <laughs> love every second of it, even if it's terrible. You are very um, Arctic themed. Yes, I am. Um, shocking. <laughs> so I'm so excited. Issa Lopez, the director of Tigers Are Not Afraid, a Mexican director, really interesting um, thinker, loves the movie The Thing, says it's her favorite horror film. Which you can tell. So when she decides, yeah, she decides she's going to make a true detective. And what does she do? Come up with, you've got, come up with two lady police officers, set it in Arctic Circle, Alaska, tie in missing Native women, 
and a weird, potentially occult set of mysterious deaths. Remember when I was just saying a niche of a niche of a niche of a niche, but if you, if that's your jam, it's extremely your jam. This is extremely my jam. As soon as I heard <laughs> two lady detectives, one of who is Callie Race, which if you haven't seen Catch the Fair One, check it out. I wrecked it way back in the day. She's a great actress. Uh, perhaps more Former important- boxer, yeah, right? Perhaps more importantly to me, she's a fighter and she gets to be a fighter in a lot of her roles and she's real good. Like it makes you appreciate actresses who can actually fight in action scenes that much more because she looks like she could fucking wreck you and that is really important it makes it makes gina carano fumbling the bag on star for star wars money so much funnier because i know she was bad as an actor and kelly rice is good she's real good and she's like real she has that you know x factor thing where like she's mesmerizing on screen like you just like can't take your eyes off her uh, and you can't teach that, Gina. Sorry. Um, so when I heard, you know, we've got two lady detectives, one's a fighter. Oh, the pilots, like the thing. I was like, was this made for me? Like, did they specifically yeah. make it for me? I'm so oh, right. happy. And John Hawks is in a supporting role. Oh, yeah. So like, you know, the god John Hawks just like casually coming Kicking in. Kicking it. Jody. Oh, it's the pilot sets things up. You know, you have a little bit of. In media race, you have to figure out the relationships as they're going, what's exactly happening. Uh, but there is such cold, icy dread in every second of this episode. You are deeply uneasy and uncomfortable by the time the horror mystery kicks in right towards the end. I highly recommend checking this out. Also, I don't know how much clearer you can get about what kind of art you're about to experience than having your theme song be a Billie Eilish song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that song's getting a lot of play. It was in the Madam Web trailer. Um, it's everywhere. I wish it hadn't been in the Madam Web trailer because it's so good for this season of True Detective that it felt a little uh, it felt a little diminished because of Madam Web. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so yeah, the the it's the pilot's a real vibe. Uh, were you a little nervous at first? Uh, at first when they introduced um, Jodie Foster's character, they're kind of like trying to display her detective chops. And one of the things that she notices is that the mayonnaise on one of the sandwiches that they find at the base that's been abandoned has congealed. And, you know, the other officer looks at her like, how do you know that? And she's like, I'm a mom. I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> I was like, is, it, is her superpower as a detective going to be like linked to her being a mom? It's not. Don't worry. Don't be afraid. She's just very observant is what they're trying to show in that moment. Yeah. And also I do, I did very much get the feeling that they are setting her up to be kind of a bad mom. Which, so that's when I got really interested because she yeah. has a teen daughter. We're still unclear about what their exact relationship is whether this was uh like an adoption situation whether this was the the child of a man she was married to whatever the situation was um but as soon as that dynamic started playing out I was like oh shit she's a bad mom and then I was like I was interested I was like okay cool 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 yeah we can get we can get with this but I it I just don't know where it's gonna go I need it to be I personally feel like I need this to be extremely good just because I want my, I need my lady thing. Me too. (laughs) I I need my lady thing too. And I want it to be really good because I really, really like potentially what the dynamic could be between Jody and Callie. I feel like that could be really interesting. And I just think it's so great to have Jody back acting. Yeah, that's nice, isn't it? As soon as she showed up on screen, I was like, that's Jody fucking Foster. Yeah, remember she's actually she's amazing and we need like her energy is so spiky and yeah. I've used that in so many instances talking about uh film and TV lately where lead performances by actresses that's the only way I can describe it just actually letting characters have an edge without making them a disaster or without feeling that like Like, obviously, it's built into this show that they're trying to help people and, like, solve this crime, what happened to these poor guys. Um, But 
she's not like there to save you, you know, that it's sort of an exploration of what the fuck happened to this woman? Like, we obviously know there was a kid at some point. The kid's not there. Like, what happened? And it's sort of incorporating the mysticism right away is just catnip to me. You know, where absolutely the weird shit of the kid's doll, the polar bear doll with the missing eye, and then she fucking sees a polar bear with a missing eye. I was like, yes, immediately, yes. <laughs> I'm yeah. in a thousand percent. You can only fuck up and lose me at this point, but I am like a hundred percent invested in the pilot. I know. If a creepy polar bear shows up in the middle of town, I want to be watching that television show. Even the opening with the were they reindeer or caribou going off the cliff in mass? Because they're yes. so scared. They sense something coming and they're so scared. They run off the cliff and then that's mirrored later on with the guy having the seizure on the base and he turns around. What does he say? She's awake? She's awake. Who? What? What? Like, are you kidding? Like, it was just so well done that I'm, yeah. I'm a yeah. little afraid going forward because... Remember I told you sometimes I see something that is so my shit I get nervous because I'm like. This can only disappoint me. Yeah. 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 Or become my entire personality for six months, which sometimes happens. So either way, I'm like, this is about to define me as a human being or you can only disappoint me. That's how I feel about True Detective right now (laughs) where I'm like so invested. I want to go to Alaska and I want to live there uh, in 24 hours of darkness because I'm mentally ill, I guess. But like, I like the vibes that much. Yeah. And something that's interesting that I wasn't aware had happened because I don't spend as much time on the internet now that I don't have Twitter. uh, The show got review bombed on Rotten Tomatoes because it's this one, this season is being run by a woman and there are two women and bro fans of Two Detective are furious that they've betrayed the characters of from the first season. And I'm like, I guarantee you that Matthew McConaughey and Rust Cole are not angry at, you know, and his fictional character from the first season are not angry about this. No, not at all. Why do you care? I'm a little on the fence about acknowledging or responding to that stuff because I got to be honest, I I don't think most people check the Metacritic score of a show before they start watching it, especially if there's so much positive buzz like, oh, my God, Jodie Foster's back. You know, like this is like a prestige television show. It's I think more people listen to that. I think it's a little bit of a Streisand effect when the creator goes on Twitter to be like, we're getting review bombed because I'm kind of like. I do think that was kind of a that was a strategic mistake let's call it I didn't know it was happening until she posted and I was like you know instead of devoting your energy to this maybe just like promote your show because there's always going to be misogynists right we're, we're not going to win the war against getting rid of misogynists ever you made an excellent show perhaps just focus on promoting it and the the, the quality of the work will stand on its own I think you know just for your own like mental health 100%. I agree. But I do think it's worth mentioning because it's an infuriating part of totally. how these things happen every time. Yes. And this is genuinely worth watching. The so, vibes yeah. are very, very good. Vibes are great. If you were one of the people who saw bad reviews and you were like, what the heck's going on? Don't listen to them. They're getting reviewed bomb, uh, bombed. Misogynists suck. What are you going to do? They're unhappy. They're always going to be that way. Um, and Callie Rice could beat their asses. She doesn't give a shit. She doesn't <laughs> give a shit. You could say that to her face and she'd laugh. Um, she's great. I'm so excited to watch the show. It's just nice to have a new, like, Sunday night moment, you know? Yeah, absolutely. This is, it's time for it. And it's the middle of freaking winter. So I needed this occupy me. (laughs) I needed this show, you guys. Um, So we don't have that much time left. Did you have anything quickly you wanted to recommend since you've been Uh, trapped inside? Can I recommend uh, the TV show Deadlock? Absolutely. Uh, This show was a surprise and a delight for me. And I can't believe that I wasn't aware it existed. It's an Australian television show currently streaming on Amazon Prime. 
that is a parody by two women comedians from Australia of TV shows like Broadchurch, the <laughs> extremely dark, grim uh, mystery where a body shows up in a small town and secrets about people are revealed. <laughs> uh, but it's so it's played so straight and so dead, like dead on. I was aware, I think, that it was supposed to be a parody, but I didn't actually think about that until I was halfway through the second episode. That's like, so oh, funny. Char- I was like so angry. I thought, oh, this character is way over the top. And then it finally clicked in and suddenly I was laughing so hard at every single thing that happened that I was like, I was coughing, you know, I'm sick <laughs> and I have a respiratory illness and I'm still laughing so hard. I'm losing my breath. Oh, that's awesome. But I- on top of it being an absolutely perfect parody, it is a shockingly well-constructed and nail-biting mystery with fantastic actresses uh, that have been in a lot of Australian television. It's it's just so fun. You'll tear through it. If you've watched a lot of mystery shows, either alone or with your parents at some point, because they all have PBS and BritBox. Are you talking this directly to me? Show. You're talking yeah, to me. This is yeah. a TV show for you. <laughs> yeah, this is extremely my shit. Uh, I got to check that out. That's on my list. Um, quickly, before we run out of time, I also wanted to recommend The Passenger, which is um, a new uh, horror film by uh, written by Jack Stanley, directed by Carter Smith, uh, starring... Johnny Birchtold and Johnny yeah. Birchtold and Guile Gallner. Um, and it is about a, a very, very quiet young man named uh, uh, Randolph. And he works at a fast food restaurant. And one day, one of his coworkers is teasing him mercilessly. And another one of his coworkers, Benson, goes out to his car, gets a gun, comes in, and commits a mass murder. So uh, the events follow what happens after that and and why Benson has done this and uh, what Randolph's whole deal is, why he is the way he is. I won't spoil anything for anyone. Um, Just a caveat, it is extremely violent in a very real way because as I said, it it opens with a mass shooting. Uh, So if that is in any way uh, a trigger for you, steer clear of it. But if you are uh, not triggered by violence and horror, I think it's a great movie i particularly wanted to um shout out kyle gallner because he that 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 young man is talented he is he he's one of my favorite that guys of our generation yep because as soon as you see his face you will know that you've watched half a dozen horror (laughs) movies that he has been in and he's fantastic in every single one of them he's got that menacing shit down so well he's so scary in this movie, I kept calling him a uh, spicy Paul Mescal because he looks <laughs> he looks a little like Paul Mescal with the hair and the facial hair. Um, but he's mesmerizing and he's playing a character who is a like a fucking demon, like a very, very bad guy. And I feel like if he wasn't so charismatic, this movie would be unwatchable and he makes it quite good. Yeah, um, it is very funny. I just was curious what some of the letterbox reviews said and 95% of them are just saying this movie would be better better if they'd made it gayer. So here's the thing. <laughs> it is queer coded. There's quite a few scenes where I was like, are they going to kiss? So if you like that sort of like it's not queer baiting cuz I genuinely don't think they intended that to happen. I I just think Johnny and Kyle had like good chemistry. Um there are quite a few moments where you're like gay and then it's not and you're a little like um okay but if you like that sort of like you know like a teasing sort of are they gonna you'll love this movie yeah there's there are any number of moments where i found myself thinking the matthew mcconaughey line from days to confused where he says be a lot cooler if you did exactly (laughs) if they had just gone for it i would have been so happy they didn't though you know whatever Meredith oh, you know, oh dear. We're We've got another like, movie. <laughs> I feel like most of our critiques are this could be gayer, you know? So th- that could just be a preference thing, but I think yeah. it stands as it is. Yeah. 
but also the history of horror like horror movies is are like riddled with oh yeah homoeroticism yep. in every direction in every configuration and horror movies if you are can gay. tell a good story like yeah horror movies are canonically extremely gay all of them um, all horror movies actually are gay. making a movie that is thrilling has great performances and isn't cruel about the the queerness is a huge achievement in itself. Actually, speaking of all of this, uh, check out our, our good friends podcast, Dirty Little Horrors. If you are a fan of queer exploration of horror films, uh, that's what Charles and Chris do. So check out Dirty Little Horror. Yeah. Amazing. I am happy to just recommend Deadlock because I want more people to be watching it. Uh, and we can say, oh, we've talked so much. Exactly. Uh, All right, guys. So we're out of time. Thank you so much for listening. As always, if you want to support the show, you can go to lighttreason.news, smash that donate button, or go to my Patreon, patreon.com slash Allison Kilkenny. You can follow us on social, although to be honest, it's basically Instagram. So go follow Light Trees and News there. You can message us as Stephanie showed over on the Instagram. Love that. And uh, follow Meredith and I on Blue Sky, Instagram. Have a wonderful rest of your weekend. And while you're at it, get out there and cause a little trouble. 